morning, everyone. I don't know if uh, you ever thought this day would come, but this is the last week of the staff. So there you go. This has been such a rich series. We've wanted to go through the whole Bible from start to finish, looking at the overarching themes and really trying to understand what, uh, what God is saying to us through his word in kind of a, a bird's eye view. And the best way to understand the details of something often is to see the overarching picture. And so that's what we've tried to provide for you for these last uh, 30 weeks. And this is 31. It's been, a, it's been a, a rich series as we've looked at this. And these last two weeks, really in lots of ways, are a summary of all that we've talked about. Last week, we looked at love as being our greatest mandate. <clears throat> it's the... Uh, it, it, it summarizes uh, all that God wants us to do and how he wants us to live from a heart of love. And that forgiveness is the highest expression of that, where we practically absorb other people's sin against us the way that Jesus absorbed our sin against him. And we generously love others as an act of forgiveness, as an act of sacrifice. So that's love. <clears throat> well, today... The title is Relational Health, but what we're really going to be doing is, uh, because of the, the scriptures that we're looking at, we're really going to be talking about power uh, in our relationships and how to navigate that. This is a really, really big deal. <clears throat> Just as love seems to be the greatest good, in lots of ways, for us, uh, power seems to be the greatest evil. I've been doing some study on a, on a theory that maybe you're unfamiliar with at one level, but actually we're ex we experience it uh, all day long, every day. It's super common because it's the primary way, I think, that people are thinking these days in our society. And it's called critical theory. <clears throat> and what critical theory wants to do is explain uh, society and how uh, societies organize themselves and how we can find freedom in society and get along with one another. Uh, some people might be familiar with the idea of critical race theory. Uh, it also refers to class or even to gender. Queer theory is an expression of critical theory. And here's the idea. It explains society according to power. The idea is is that power is the great evil. <clears throat> as soon as somebody has power, they're sure to use it destructively. And so the only way that we're going to be free from oppression is if we practice something called absolute equality. This is the solution to the uh, abuse of power, that we want everybody to have an equal say. It's kind of a hyper-democracy where everybody is respected and valued, and there's nobody who's kind of steering the ship. Because as soon as you have somebody over another person, that's sure to be abusive. It's even applied to the area... <coughs> Excuse me, I'm going to have a bit of a cough today, but I, again, I still, I, I, I was tested and I'm all clear, but I do have a cough. Some kind of cold is going around. Well, uh, this is even described in terms of religious leaders, where religious leaders 
use morality and truth as a way to control people. They have the power. They say, you know, we know what the truth is. <laughs> These are the morals that we impose upon you. And they use fear to control the people to keep them subservient to them. Uh, I saw on the, uh, I don't know if it's still there, but on outside of uh, the college that we uh, did meet at and, and will meet at in the future, uh, here's what it said. Uh, virginity is a social construct. The idea is, is that morality is created by political or religious structures and it's almost arbitrary and that it's used to control. So um, what religious leaders have done is said uh, um, adultery, social, uh, sexual immorality is a sin. And, um, and so you need to, to trust us, submit to our laws, and then that's the way that we're going to keep power over you. Of course, we don't say that. We say it's for your own good or whatever. That's how the, the theory is. But that really all of these morals are social constructs, and they have uh, very little bearing on, in a sense, what the truth is. Well, you can imagine how this, uh, in many ways, runs in contradiction to what we find in Scripture, although uh, we have to quickly admit that there, the, the first, the motivation or the first point is true, that power uh, is the most abusive force on the planet, that the more power you have, the more harm you can do. Of course, hopefully the more good you can do as well, but it's true that the more power someone has, the more they can wield that power to hurt others for self-serving purposes. That's absolutely true. The question comes not in identifying that problem, but in trying to understand the solution. And is it true that the solution is, is absolute equality? That we just want everybody to have an equal say? The problem with that, and I think there's a few problems, but the one that we'll look at now, is that it's an illusion. You can't get rid of power in human relationships. You can't. As soon as you have a set of values, and those values contradict someone else's values, there's going to be distance there. And um, <clears throat> as much as you might want to respect the other person and respect their point of view, you came to your own convictions, and uh, you'll believe them to be right. Well, that's a kind of power. If you have a boss or a teacher or a parent, uh, you just can't avoid these things. Uh, this, this illusion is supported by a greater illusion, and I, I, I call it Star Wars. And I don't know, and sorry for those of you who are really into Star Wars, but it's, uh, it's this idea that the world can be divided between good guys and bad guys. And you can easily identify them just by the clothes that they wear that somehow there's a, there's a bad group of people and those people have power, and then there's a good group that's trying to uh, disperse power. But of course, in their agenda to disperse power, that is power. And so it really, uh, it, it's, uh, it's, it's contradictory. 
The truth is that we see in scripture is that humanity is not divided between good guys and bad guys. Uh, humanity, uh, the, the difference, the dividing line between good and evil runs through all of our hearts. All of us are, are good and bad. And so to simply say that we're going to, you know, get rid of these people and put, you know, and value these people, it just doesn't work. There's always going to be someone that, that, uh, that we're against if we play this power game. And so what we want to be able to look at today is how do we um, have a different way of relating that isn't built upon power, that isn't built upon using that power for self-serving purposes. Uh, and again, if, if some of you, you know, you know, you're not familiar with that, in lots of ways you are. Because you hear people say things like, well, that's good for you. I have my own beliefs. Um, that idea is actually based in this thing called critical theory. That everybody is trying to, it's, it's super Canadian. Everybody's just trying to kind of get along and accept everybody's different points of view, uh, imagining that there can be a way of relating that has no uh, power element in it. So let's look then at what scripture talks about in, return, in terms of power and relationship. Uh, and what you're going to notice in each one of these verses is I'm going to let you know how to read it ahead of time. It's obvious, but I, I just need to say it. There's two things that are common in all of these descriptions of healthy relationships. Number, number one is that it always is emphasizing Jesus as Lord. That the only way that you and I are going to get along with one another is if we all submit to one greater power, the Lord Jesus Christ. And if that isn't true, then something's going to go off, and we'll talk about that. Number two, so Jesus is Lord in all of these verses. And in all of these verses, it talks about power. And it never describes power as something to avoid. It describes power as something to use, um, hopefully for the sake of love. But it actually doesn't say that power itself is wrong. Well, this is absolutely remarkable. Well, let's jump into these verses. These are super common verses. And it's the theme when we, when we look at the letters that were written to the church after Jesus died and rose again. These are the themes that are common throughout all of those letters when it talks about how human beings should get along together. This is like, it's a common way to talk. Well, listen to this. First of all, we look at husbands and wives in Ephesians 5, verses 22 and verse 25. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Well, everything about that's wrong, isn't it? Um, it we, we don't want to have wives. We want to have partners. We don't want to submit. We want autonomy. We don't want husbands. We want partners. Um, and we don't want to submit to husbands as you do to the Lord? I mean, wow. How does that? <clears throat> so imagine 
the, the Lord, you know, we, we preach the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And then Paul comes along and says, you know how you submit to Jesus as Lord? I want you to submit in the same way to your husbands. Uh, I can't think of a faster way to be offended. This is just, uh, this is just shocking language. And then it goes on. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So this is equally shocking, uh, even though it's describing husbands as, as uh, needing to live the way that Jesus did and how he relates to the church, and that we're to use our power to love our wives and uh, to such an extent where we would die for our wives. So power is radically redefined as dying for someone, giving ourselves up for someone. Um, this is just shocking language. Ephesians 6, verses 1 and verse 4. This is now about children and parents. Children, obey your parents. Uh, super common command given to children. So I don't know if you've met any parents lately or whether you are one. The level of imperfection inside of parents is blatantly obvious. And scripture comes along and says, children, you know those imperfect parents that you have? I want you to obey them. I want you to do uh, all that they say. And I want you to obey your parents. And here's that, that thing that's always quickly added in the Lord. This means, means two things. In the Lord, meaning you obey the things that reflect what Jesus values, but you also obey them in honor of Jesus. Kind of has those two dimensions to it. For this is right. And then it now talks about fathers. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. So these are the, the fathers are the ones with the power, as it were. Don't uh, another word for exasperate is dishearten. Don't dishearten them. Don't discourage them in the J.B. Phillips from wanting to do good version of the Bible. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So this authority that, that, uh, that fathers and mothers have is delegated authority. And the purpose of that authority is to help your children do what God wants not what you want. Again, very, very radical. And then now we look at slaves and masters in Ephesians 6. I mean, it just, it's just hard all the way through. Verses 5 and verse 9. Slaves, obey. Here's that word again. Wow, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear. So, uh, so where you work, if you're an employee, what you're supposed to do is fear and respect your masters, your bosses. That's what you're supposed to do. With respect and fear, with sincerity of heart. So not only should you respect and fear them, you should do it sincerely, not kind of only when they're looking at you, but even when they're not looking at you. And here's, here's this sobering thought again, just as you would obey Christ. How are we to obey Christ? Well, that's your model for now how you're supposed to obey your bosses. This is incredible. 
Incredible. Who, who would even want to live this way? Knowing what bosses are like, the imperfection, self-serving agendas. Talk about a misuse of power. Well, you'll certainly find that in the marketplace, won't you? As well as the home, of course, and in the church too. And then masters and masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Now that's going to be key, what we're going to be talking about later. There's something similar about slaves and masters, about parent, uh, parents and children, about husbands and wives. There's something that is the same, even though it looks like it's very different. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. So, masters, don't forget you have a master, and you're going to have to give an account for your behavior. And so, make sure that you treat them kindly the way that you would want to be treated by God. So here we see those two themes, don't we? One is, is that Jesus is Lord, and that's the ultimate relationship to which we're all accountable. And if that isn't true, everything else is messed up. And so when we look at critical theory, we congratulate people for their willingness to try to get rid of the abuse of power. But unless Jesus is recognized as Lord, then some human will uh, will have power, and then it will always get messed up. So Jesus needs to be Lord. And when Jesus is Lord, the power that is in human relationships somehow gets redeemed and becomes a different experience. Let's then look at both of these things and break it down a little bit. So our point number one, we can't separate our horizontal and vertical relationships. We can't separate our relationship with God from our relationship with one another. Um, who we understand God to be and how we relate to him is the most significant factor in how we relate to one another. One of the things that I find uh, very, um, <coughs> very discouraging is when I hear Christians talk about how to get along with one another it's kind of it's what I call tips and tricks. Um, you disagree with somebody, so here is the ways that you should present your argument to them. This is what you should expect from them. If, you're, um, if they're unresponsive, then these are the three options that are available to you. And it's all about working out the relationship with another human being as though God doesn't exist. Now, some of those tips and tricks are actually very helpful, and I use them myself. But... Uh, when it's separated, when kind of that's all you have, and it's not done in the fear of the Lord and, and, and in recognition of who he is and living inside of his love, then it really, these tips and tricks are just really power plays and forms of manipulation, ways to protect your independence and self-serving agendas and kind of get other people to cooperate with you. When Jesus is ignored, even the helpful things that we do to get along with one another are really forms of power and manipulation, as innocent as they look. Unless Jesus is our Lord, we will either resist and or grasp for power. Unless Jesus is our Lord, we will always be jockeying for power. I don't believe that anybody is looking out for me except for me. Therefore, I've got to make sure that the world revolves around me as best as I'm able to make it do that. 
And so I engage in relationships in a kind of competitive manner where I'm trying to get as much as I can out of that relationship uh, in order for me to enjoy my life. So uh, if Jesus is not Lord, then we see other power as something to be resisted. They go, I know what you want. You want what I want. Control. Uh, to get what you want. You're as selfish as I am. So I have to resist your power because I'm suspicious of you. And I have to grasp for power myself because nobody's going to look out for me. Can you see how the whole thing is messed up if we don't practically and sincerely honor Jesus Christ as Lord? If he's not the ultimate authority, then the only authority that exists on earth is between humans and so I've got to try to grab as much of that as possible and make sure that you don't get it. This is how the world functions. And so these theories of how to get along, in a sense, make sense if we don't acknowledge the sovereignty of the Lord Jesus Christ over humanity. The sign of lordship. How, how, do, how do we know if Jesus is Lord of our lives? How do we know that? We're humble toward others. When we are secure in the authority of God, we're able to be humble to others and not have to enter into power struggles because we're safe. We have an ultimate Lord who's always going to look out for us. We trust in his love and authority. And so we're able to be humble with others because we're not defound, defined by the power plays that are going on in human relationships. We're free. So follow me now on this. Uh, you and I know that we have a struggle with honoring Jesus as Lord when we're defensive and competitive. So we could say, no, no, no. De defensiveness is just, um, you know, I, I just had a rough upbringing and I've always been a little bit proud and a little bit defensive, but don't worry, I'm working on it. I'm working on how to control that. No, don't do that. It's a Lordship issue. The reason why you're defensive is because you are fighting for your own kingdom of self to be well-established. The reason why you're competitive is you're trying to defeat other kingdoms so that your personal self-centeredness can be exalted. It's a lordship issue. When you're in the kingdom of God and worship him as Lord, you're his servant. You're not vying for power anymore. You don't have to be defensive and, and show how you're right and other people were wrong and and uh, defend your image. You don't have to worry about those things. You're free. And you don't have to put down anybody else. You're able to enjoy it when someone else does well, when someone's smarter than you or more well-off than you. Because uh, you're, not, you're, you're not motivated by jealousy, which is a form of competition. So, uh, the first thing to do to have healthy relationships with one another is to worship Jesus as Lord. That's the first thing that we need to do. There's no way around it. As to the Lord is what these uh, scriptures always tack on to any relationship that we're engaging in. As to the Lord. Wow, that's powerful. If we could just grab that, it would transform all of our relationships and we would be secure, well-connected people. So that's point number one. Uh, <clears throat> Jesus needs to be established as Lord in order for us 
to not engage in power struggles with other people. Number two that we want to ask is what does, what does godly power look like? <clears throat> okay, so now we're going to talk about our human relationships directly. True power gives love and true submission receives love. <clears throat> Here's what power is. Power is service. Biblically, it's what it is. <clears throat> in, uh, uh, in Matthew uh, 1045 says, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Biblically, um, God establishes powers so that people can be served. We need a government that can manage our selfishness. He put a power uh, with police so that uh, we wouldn't have to grasp for power within ourselves. We have someone to appeal to, to protect us, and someone who's going to keep us in line. In the family, it's the same thing. Families have parents. Uh, even in a single-parent home, there's somebody is in charge to make sure that the kids get along, and that that is an act of service. Look, if we don't understand power as service, our lives will always be messed up. The reason why we would receive power is so that we can serve. Um, the, uh, the reason why we submit to power is we're receiving it as someone trying to help us. And so if we look at that power that God established that to serve us, if we look at that power and are threatened by it, we will never be blessed by the power. <clears throat> if you look at the government and go, yeah, I know what their agenda is. They're, I know how self-centered I am, so for sure they are too. And so I've got to protect myself. You'll never be blessed by the government. If you look at church leaders and go, I get it. This is all about their ego. This is all about them wanting to control us. You'll never be blessed. If you look at your parents like that, uh, you'll never be blessed by them. You'll just be uh, suspicious and hard-hearted, threatened by their power. Submission is always obedience is always about receiving. So uh, if somebody comes, a, a power figure, a, um, a parent or a pastor or community leader or boss, and they say, this is what I think you should do. When we obey them, what we're doing is receiving from them. We're receiving their wisdom. And uh, they have experience. <clears throat> They've been in meetings that we haven't been in. Um, uh, we trust that God will use them even in their imperfection. And so our obedience, I know this is hard to understand, but our obedience is an act of receptivity. It's how we get blessed. I did a study on the word obedience. And it is always attached to blessing. 
It's how we receive blessing. Deuteronomy 28.2 Obey the commands of, if you obey the commands of the Lord, then these are the blessings that will follow. If you obey your parents, you'll live a long life. If you want to be promoted at work, do what your boss says. Uh, Obedience, following, submission are acts of receiving blessing. And again, if you don't see obedience as an act of humility and receiving personal benefit, you'll always resist obedience. You'll think obedience is for their sake. I know what you're trying to do. You're trying to exert power over me, and so you want me to obey you. Well, I don't know what your motive is, but I can control what my motive is. And my obedience is an act of receiving in humility what God would want to give me through you. And so I'll obey with a glad and generous, as it says, with slaves, with a sincere heart as to the Lord, knowing that ultimately it is the Lord that I am serving and obeying. So here is the, uh, here's the point. Having power is always about serving, and submitting to power is always about receiving. And this is what the gospel, how the gospel transforms our experience of either having power or being uh, influenced by power. And this transforms our human relationships. So if you, uh, if you want to fight for power, if that's a thing, if you'd like to fight for power, go ahead. Please. Just know that however much power you have is how much you have to serve. So, uh, <clears throat> you know, if you want to, it, 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 it just lets you serve more. That's all that's going on. So, as a pastor, I, I have a position of power in this community. Uh, people freely join this community. It's not, uh, uh, people can come and go whenever they want. But to the degree that somebody connects themselves with this community, I have authority in every nation Vancouver. And I, I, have, I have one job description, to serve you. And the moment that I use my power to serve myself, that's not God's power. And uh, it's a misuse of the position that God has given me. I only have one job, and that's to serve you. And in Hebrews 13, it talks about submitting to leaders so that it would go well for you. That uh, there's, whether I'm the pastor, it doesn't really matter you know, one of the other pastors on our team or a community leader, it barely matters who we're talking about. But the idea is, is that all of those positions are acts of service. That's why we're called ministers. Minister just means servant. We're, we're, we're servants to see you have a healthy relationship with God, your natural spiritual and family, and the world around you. That's our, that's our, that's our mandate. Uh, Paul says, I only have authority to build you up, not tear you down. The only power that God gives is the power to serve. So if you'd like that power, that would be wonderful. We need more servants. uh, uh, But if you want to receive something, don't go into leadership. 
Because leadership is not about receiving. Leadership is about giving. If you want to receive something, then you've got to submit to a power. You submit first to the Lord Jesus Christ. You submit to church leaders. You submit to your parents. You submit to your boss. And you obey them. You do what what they say. And when you submit, that's how you receive. You don't receive by getting power. You receive by submitting to power. Do you see what's going on? So power is how you serve. And submission is how you receive. This is a this is a more biblical and robust understanding of how to get rid of the abuse of power in human relationships. First, worship Jesus Christ as Lord, and then use power as an act of service. <clears throat> I find this in parenting, that I want to bless all of my children equally. I, I just do. I, I think they're beautiful and amazing, and even if they aren't in any given moment, they're my kids. And God gave me, gave Debbie and I, um, all of these children. We have 11 people to serve as mom and dad. They receive our service to the degree that they obey us, trust us, come into relationship with us, and receive And if they have a hard heart and think they know better, they will never receive the blessings that Debbie and I want to give at nearly every level. Uh, Spiritual, uh, emotional, financial, um, physical, in all of those dimensions, they can't receive from us unless they surrender their will in the fear of the Lord and have an open heart. So here's what the world does. It twists it. They go, you need to receive. Here's what you need to do. Grasp for power. The only way that you'll get what you want is if you become more, uh, more direct, more forceful. Express your needs more clearly. Uh, don't back down. Negotiate. They, you also need to negotiate for their benefit, of course, as well. But don't forget yourself. No, the only way that you receive is if you fight for it is if you demand for it. That is, that is opposite to the gospel of Jesus Christ and how we're to relate to one another. The only way that you receive is through submission. And the only reason why you would ever have power is so you can serve. <clears throat> so, what about employees? If that's the way it goes, like the one with the power serves and then the other gets blessed as they submit to that power and obey. But what about employees? Don't we serve our bosses? If, if, if we're an employee, uh, aren't we supposed to serve the one in power? Well, yes. Now, here's what I want you to grab hold of. In Jesus, everyone serves and everyone is blessed. So here's how it gets jumbled up. When we're in Christ, everyone is serving one another. And to the degree that you serve someone, you have power in that relationship. And to the degree that you submit to, uh, uh, to someone's service of you is the degree to which you'll be blessed by them. And so we, we see a typical relationship of, of husband and wife, of father and and uh, child, of master and slave, 
as a way to express these ideas. But it's not that simple. Everybody is serving and everybody is receiving. When we surrender to the, to the loving authority of Jesus Christ, employee and boss alike are liberated to freely give and freely receive love. So uh, when we're submitted and trust that God is loving and in power, then I am now truly liberated. I'm not liberated by dispersing power. I'm liberated by using the power that God has given me. I have power in lots of ways. There's power in position. There's power in, in understanding. There's financial power. There's uh, relational power. There's all kinds of power. Whatever power I have, I will use that for the benefit of others. <clears throat> and as people try to love me, I won't be insulted by that and go, how dare you exert power over me by trying to love me? And I'll receive it. I'll submit to it. I'll let it bless me. I won't be threatened by it. I know who, who's Lord. I don't have to be threatened by other people trying to serve me and think, oh, they're trying to control me. Who do they think they are? They think I'm stupid. They think I can't stand up on my own. I'll show them. I don't need to do any of that. I can freely receive. <clears throat> Matthew 28. I quote it all the time, freely you've received, freely give. What's true freedom? What's true liberation? It's not the dismantling of power structures. It's the redemption of them. Through the worship of the Lord Jesus Christ and using power as an act of love. Um, some of you may know we're building a coach house or laneway house in our backyard. It's really fun. I, I, it, it just reminds, I was an architectural drafting teacher and woodworker, so I just love those kinds of things. And it's, uh, <clears throat> I, I think it's going to be a, um, I think it'll be a, a wise investment and it's where Jonathan and Steph are going to be able to live. Uh, <clears throat> and so we're excited about that as a way to serve them. And uh, <clears throat> the site contractor, he, uh, he's from Russia and we had a really good talk a little while ago, and he was telling me what it was like to live in Russia and to, <coughs> to experience communism uh, as an insider. And as he's talked with his family and his, you know, his parents and his grandparents, what their experience of communism was like. And I found it absolutely fascinating. He talks about a group of people who were really there to live for the benefit of others. He talks about this one person in particular whose job it was to store the grain, uh, to store a certain amount of the grain that was harvested so that, um, um, so that when it's time for the next harvest, there'll be grain to sow. And this was his job. Well, there was uh, severe famine in the land. The harvest was not great. And so he ended up starving to death. Uh, well, he had, a, he had, you know, huge silos of grain. And he wouldn't take it because he was committed to do, to live for the greater good. And he, and he decided to live an honorable life to the point of death. Uh, he says, 
he says, I can tell you so many stories like that. And he says, the great tragedy that's happened uh, in Russia is that the people who had power have ended up being, not all of course, but many have ended up being terribly corrupt and took advantage of people like that. And it was, I was, I was stirred by his story. What's the way out of that? Well, according to critical theory, uh, uh, th there's, a, there's a, a disparity in class, and so we need, to, we need to better enforce that and make sure that everybody, there's nobody who's going to misuse power because we're going to flatten, we're going to flatten power as much as we can. Um, as Christians, what we say is that God's leadership keeps us safe. That I'm not looking to human leaders to ultimately keep me safe. I'm looking to Jesus to keep me safe. This, of course, is offensive to most people, but it's my salvation. I can't serve anybody if I'm looking out for myself. I've got to trust that someone is looking out for me so that I can look out for others. And if I don't believe that, I will always use power for self-serving purposes. I have to believe in the goodness and care of my Heavenly Father. When we're born again, and Jesus is our Lord, and we've received relationship with him, we no longer fear human powers. In uh, Matthew 10, 28, it says, don't fear people who can kill the body. Fear the one who can kill the body and the soul. Throw you in hell. That we're, uh, we do not fear human power. We fear the Lord. And in our fear of the Lord, we're free to serve others and we're free to receive from others. This should be liberation theology. This is where freedom is found. We're citizens of a greater kingdom. And in that kingdom, we are freed not from power, but we're freed to love. Can I please reframe what freedom is? Freedom is the freedom to love in spite of the power structures around us. This is the freedom that Christians enjoy. It's the freedom that Jesus offers us. We're under a new king. We're defined by a, <clears throat> by a benevolent uh, Lord. And as we rest in his sovereign power over us, we're freed to love and no longer grasping for power or threatened by power. This is our liberation. What is the result of living in this way? Well, here's the grand irony. As we choose to give and receive love, we actually experience an increase in power and authority. We experience an increase in it. In Mark 9, 35, it says, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. You want to be first? You want to have power? Serve. The more that you serve, the more power you will have, the more influence you will have. This is how you get promoted at work. How do you get promoted at work? Become a better servant. So let me ask you, do you feel powerless or oppressed? 
Do you feel like there's whole groups oppressing you or uh, particular people oppressing you? Do you feel that? I think most of us can imagine places where we feel powerless and oppressed, misunderstood, judged. What's our freedom? Servanthood. And as we serve, even those who mistreat us, we grow in authority. God's authority. And this is our freedom. Uh, no one can steal from you the right to serve. No one can steal from you the right to love. And as you take up your call to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself, you will be liberated and you will receive from the Father your due reward, both now and ultimately in the age to come. So in conclusion, do you want loving relationships? Do you want to have a loving relationship with the people around you? Make love, not power, your problem. Make love your problem. Don't make power your problem. Power is not the problem. Love is the problem. Jesus frees us to be generous, to serve, and to be grateful to receive. True freedom, then, is found through faith in Jesus Christ, our Lord, who redeems power with love. True freedom is found through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, who doesn't uh, <clears throat> disperse or dilute power. He redeems power with his love and invites us to do the same. Uh, this has been a, a longer sermon because it, it just deserves being unpacked because it can be easily misunderstood. But I really believe that as we end establish and as we look at what's going on in the world today, people jockeying for power, uh, bullying, pushing agendas on us, demanding us to conform to their morality, uh, which are all social constructs. We surrender to Jesus as Lord, and we come under the authority of his kingdom. And in his kingdom, we have freedom. We're under a different power. And that power gives us the freedom to serve, even in the face of feeling powerless and oppressed. And in that place, my friend, my friends, is, is our liberation. And unless you and I serve, unless you and I obey, we will never experience the righteousness, peace, and joy of the kingdom of God. As we close this series and establish, we are exalting the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ that frees us to give and receive love. This is the point of the gospel. It's the point of the, of the biblical message, and it must be the point of our lives. And to the degree that it is not, we are in bondage. We are oppressed by our own selfishness. And to the degree that we embrace this message, we are free, liberated through the power of Jesus Christ. Um, I pray that we will see thousands of people go through the established uh, material devotions. I I'm praying for 
thousands of people to go through this material to understand this message. Not some secular message of, of uh, power plays, but a brand new way of relating to God and relating to one another. This is our hope. This is what we uh, have, have sold ourselves to and become a bondservant to because we trust in Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you for liberating us from power structures that come to control and manipulate, bully, coerce, abuse, violate. Thank you that our liberation is, <coughs> is not in some um, ecocentric imagination that we would do better with power than others would, but it's in the fear of the Lord, in humility, in the commitment to serve, in the commitment to be obedient to those who serve us, and to churn this world right side up to better reflect the kingdom of God. Father, would you put in us a heart of repentance to churn from humanistic solutions to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and the blessings that come from obeying his ways and doing his will. Set us free and, and empower us now. Uh, put an urgency in us now to be ministers of this gospel, spreading a radical truth that will transform this world, not just with new ideas, but with the breath and power of the Spirit of God moving through those who have surrendered their hearts to him. Thank you for your freedom. And we receive it now with great gratitude. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.